Central Division Hockey, the podcast, presents a team overview of the 2021 season for all eight of the teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22. This standalone edition is for the Nashville Predators. A look back at our after-training camp prediction versus how the team did, team milestones, individual award nominees and winners, retirements, hirings, firings, if applicable, as well as the team grades for the GM, head coach, and players by position. Again, Monday, July 19th, Nashville 2020 draft pick and prospect Luke Prokop became the first active player under an NHL contract to announce being openly gay on his Twitter account. The importance of him being able to come out publicly is refreshing news. He received messages of support from Nashville President and CEO Sean Henry, GM David Poyle, and Team Captain Roman Yossi, just to name a few. At the end of the podcast, I will recommend another podcast if you want to listen to more of Luke Prokop's own story. Welcome to the 2020-21 season year-end team podcast for the Nashville Predators, presented by Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. We begin with the podcast after training camp prediction, sixth in the Discover Central. Actual regular season results, 64 points, fourth in the Discover Central Division. Postseason, Nashville lost four games to two to Carolina in the first round best of seven playoff series. This past Nashville season belongs to the team's goaltenders. Many said that it was 2019-20 that Pekka Rene passed the torch to UC Soros. However, after this past season, I would say the completion of that was fully realized in the 2021 season. It represents the last year of the goalie tantum together, and Rene throughout his career provided above average goaltending for the Nashville franchise, the only one at the NHL level he played for. This past year, it was Soros who provided the above average goaltending, taking a team on his back and willing it into the playoffs by his Vesna-worthy consideration play that somehow failed to get recognized with a nomination for the year-end awards for that award. My prediction that Nashville wouldn't make the playoffs was because Saros hadn't previously demonstrated the in-his-prime stats of Rene that would be required to get this Nashville team into the playoffs. Rene was no longer in his prime factored as well into the assessment. What I fully admit I got wrong was Saros' ability to deliver that above-average goaltending that he did. Otherwise, my team assessment was better than the Nashville organization led fans to believe going into the season. The D group additions did not shore up the back end, dependent on its three elite regards, any more so than in previous years. The forward group changes, and they were plentiful from the Kyle Torres buyout, Nick Benino and Austin Watson trades, one in, one out, and the free agent departure of Craig Smith, while the free agent signings probably provided less than the experience of the players departed. Still, the Nashville market was sold that the team was improved and bounce back seasons would keep this team among the cup contenders. Reality was, it wasn't a playoff caliber team and the bounce back season and additions didn't materialize to make it one, save for one thing. The above average goaltending of UC Saros that essentially made a non-playoff team a playoff bound one before a first round exit to an actual cup contending built team. Losing to them doesn't make Nashville a close to cup contending team and they overachieved and it was because of Saros' play in net. That was the sole difference. All the other issues related to the team that should have otherwise missed the playoffs still exist. Merely, a mass man was able to compensate to mass them by above-average goaltending. The Rene Tessaro's torch was passed officially this season. Individual award nominees and winners, the 2021 King Clancy Memorial Trophy winner, awarded to the player who exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and who has made a significant humanitarian contribution to his community, was awarded to Nashville's Pekka Rene most deservedly. Retirements, Pekka Rene, sure to be a first ballot NHL Hall of Famer, 38, recently announced his retirement after a storied 15-year career, all with Nashville. Without question, 
Sebastian, one of the best goalies of his generation. Rene won the Vesna Trophy for the best goalie in the NHL in 2018, in addition to being a four-time finalist 2011, 2012, and 2015, the years he was nominated but didn't win. Rene was the catalyst to Nashville's first lone Stanley Cup final appearance in 2017, posting a 1.96 goals against average and a 9.30 save percentage and going 14-8 and in 22 playoff games before Nashville lost in the final to Pittsburgh. He finished his career with 369 wins, fifth most in the salary cap era, and his 60 shutouts rank third for the salary cap era, a career 2.43 goals against average and a .917 save percentage in the regular season and a career 2.49 goals against average and 9.14 save percentage postseason career in 89 postseason games played. He holds every Nashville franchise goalie record from games played 683 wins 369 shutout 60 with the best career marks for saves goals against average save percentage of Nashville goalies playing at least a career 30 games played. He also became the 12th NHL goalie to score a goal into an empty net versus Chicago in January 2020. He currently is the NHL record holder in wins for a goalie born in Finland. He was drafted by Nashville in the eighth round in 2004. You're listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and our year-end focus podcast for Nashville when we return the first team grades for the 2020-21 season for Nashville. Take advantage of Johnson & Johnson's winter wellness event and get rewarded. It pays to be prepared for the season. Get sweet deals from Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event now through December 3rd. If you purchase $15 or $25 of participating products at BJ's, you can get a $5 or $10 reward. Plus, you can even enter to win a Visa Rewards card. Purchase at BJ's, upload your receipt, and choose your reward. It pays to be prepared at BJ's. How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast and our 2020-21 year-end focus podcast for Nashville. Each team of the eight teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22, we look back at the GM coach and players and give them a ranking for last season. It's what we call the team grades. About the formula, the GM and coach grades are out of 100%. The goaltending is as well for the team. In Nashville's case, they used two goalies. It was weighted by the game played split between the two. The Nashville D group mark ratio was only used for this team. The Elite 3 are weighted, but consideration was factored in for the games played missed, and then to factor in the 4th D-man into a top 4. As well, the realization the bottom pair of minutes were maximized because of injury to the overall mark. That reality, I think, reflects the quality drop-off issues Nashville really faced. Nashville's was a 12-forward, 6-defenseman set primarily, like most NHL teams, so while there are more individual players graded, the position grades are really keeping to that 12 six playing at one game time set a mark out of 100 for the goalies the d group and the forward group and then a overall team mark the forward grades does follow to an actual top six time on ice bottom six time on ice model that's because coach john hines really deployed his forward line usage quite consistently every forward is under 20 minutes most 16 and a half to 18 minutes average time on ice in the top six the bottom six mostly all under 14 minutes fourth liners 10 to 12 minutes and Tovalin at 14.48 has a jump in his power play time. His 5-on-5 usage still fits the overall group. It's weighted to give the final grade more weight by a ratio to the top six because they were on the ice more. GM David Poyle. 
UC Soros didn't get one first place Vezina Trophy vote. It's the only award voted by the NHL GMs. So the goalie that saved Poyle's job didn't even have that GM vote for him. Poyle is a class act person, but as job performance reviews go, and that's what this is, he is responsible for dragging this team into the swamp ground it currently is in. Add a full season of his selecting a coach, that system stifles his high-end talent that remains. I talked about at length his bad contract signings as a big issue. That led to the tourist buyout last summer. There isn't time to go and repeat all of that. In last year's preview free agency podcast, I did at length. A Deshane Bild is probably next on deck, and that's Poyle's own poor signings. We won't even start with Johansson as well. On defense, he has failed to, in repeated years, solidify that, although he's identified he wants to. Benning, Borowicki, led to Spies' pickup off of waivers, and yet another deadline deal acquisition from a team on the outside looking in with Gobranson, and it's not improved, but Nashville did move on from a class act team guy in Yannick Weber, whose play would have been probably just as good. After saying the team was moving on from Granlin, they did an about-face. Did they really think they had a shot at Taylor Hall? Thank God, because that would add to the issues, not improve them. Signings Halla Cousins, Richardson weren't upgrades to tourist Craig Smith, Austin Watson, and trading Benino for Cunnan makes sense because of Cunnan's younger age. Although, let's hearken back to the Shea Weber and the fact that he still plays for Montreal while P.K. Subban has long left Nashville because of getting paid too much by Poyle to stay and that's what we all would give Nashville the advantage when we look back in that deal wasn't it that Subin was younger right just think about that again the opportunity at last year's trade deadline to be a seller didn't come to be while this team with the current coaches system had personnel that is counterproductive to its identity you can't be half designed to play like Colorado and Chicago and half built to play like St. Louis and Dallas and have a team system that requires the team makeup of a Minnesota or Columbus and a GM who can't transition to give his coach that personnel. The elite players don't represent the identity of this team anymore and collectively it's hard to say who does represent it. The GM doesn't deserve as nice as a guy as Poyle is the opportunity to rebuild this team. In fact he hasn't come to terms that's where his choices put the team in the first place. It could show signs of getting better but honestly that comes when Nashville puts someone else in charge of fixing it. For now, it will be more of the same. This is a non-playoff NHL team with above-average goaltending that allowed it to be one. Poyle didn't vote to give his MVP goalie a first place for the Vesna Trophy. I would have given Poyle probably 10 additional marks and maybe a passing grade for that as it's reflective of a team that made the playoffs and how they did it. The roster otherwise Poyle had wasn't a playoff team and his overvaluation of his team is another big problem Nashville has, 40 out of 100. Head coach, John Hines. Should Coach Hines' grade be propped up by his standout Vesna caliber, but not finalist team MVP goalie UC Soros? I don't think so, and here's why. Before the team turnaround, and that was only because of Soros, made possible, it looked as though, rumored in fact, that the team was about to be a deadline day seller, and Soros' play brought them back from the dead, and they didn't end up being sellers. The grading system, in place for these podcasts, seems to overall work quite accurately and Nashville was going to test its working ability because positionally Soros play should compensate while the team gets low grades elsewhere and still ballpark close to Dallas, St. Louis and Winnipeg based on the points they finished with and especially Dallas as they played in the same division all year. As for the coaching up the rest of the roster after Nashville's goaltending, well it simply isn't there. Now part of that falls on what Coach Hines has to work with from his GM. The injury man game lost were up with other NHL teams, but none of them required elite above average goaltending to make the playoffs like Nashville did. On defense, I wonder about the choices after the tripod, Yossi, Ellison, Ekholm. The elite three usage is a no-brainer no matter who is coaching. The underperformance of the drop-off in defensemen wasn't managed well, and again, it's Saros's play that essentially has to mask that reality. More so, while the distribution of forward minutes was what, from a group standpoint, the best to 
deployment, none of the lines generated consistent offense, the adjustments didn't work, and it underperformed badly, especially in the top six. Yet Granlund gets top forward minutes, but is a distant fourth and closer to half a point producer, well under a point per game that time on ice leader should require to score. Deshane, when he played, was afforded top six minutes, well underachieving the most. The bottom six, no better. And there was no line continuity really through the forward group. The system play Hines uses is counterattack off errors and less designed for creative puck possession play. Defensively, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis have to cheat the system to maximize their value because this system doesn't allow that elite level skill. Add game-breaking forward Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, rookie Ellie Tovalin, whose offensive creativity is stifled by it as well. Only Arvidsson and Ellis's two-way game avoided being plus-minus negatives of that list of players. The others, with Duchesne, were team leaders for the worst in that metric. There's a correlation. Simply, high-end skill players don't thrive in the system Heinz plays. They essentially aren't required. Signing more skill guys doesn't change it. Better have a bunch more nondescript two-way forwards instead. With the exception of above-average goaltending, this team underachieved and would have not made the playoffs. That the organization thinks it is a cup contender or close to it. Also then, if that's true, falls on the coach for that underachievement as well. I think it's not a playoff caliber team that the coach didn't coach above potential. If you believe it was a playoff team in all the positions, then it was further undercoached in the final assessment based on the team's results. You can't have it both ways. Nashville, personnel-wise, is caught between its old team identity and its coach's new system that, save for above-average goaltending with the current personnel, isn't going to work. Not just in who stays or joins this team, even how the team drafts now needs to require to change. Then you ask yourself, should you do all that for Coach Hines? No. Get a coach that can get the skill players back into the position to succeed. 55 out of 100. Goal, UC Soros, 2.28 goals against average, a .927 save percentage, 35 games started, 21-11-1 record, three shutouts, 78 goals against. The team MVP returned from injury and put together a career-high regular season stats among the league leaders in goals against average and save percentage. Going into last season, his stats were trending down, his goals against Rose and his save percentage having a drop each season as he played more games. When you stack Juice's stats against the Vesna nominated group, he is right there with them. The big difference with the others is they were on cup contenders, additionally playing in front of good teams. Saros had to elevate more so to be there with them, and that's what he did. His 24.64 goal saved above average as per natural stat trick was far and away the NHL's best mark because he was that good while his team wasn't. Two wins, four loss record in six postseason games started. He had a respectable 2.78 goals against average and a .921 save percentage. 90 out of 100. Pekka Rene at 2.84 goals against average, a .907 save percentage. 21 games started, 10-12-1 record, 2 shutouts, 62 goals against. If you look at the goals against average and save percentage from last regular season to the year prior, Rene had a bounce back year, getting his save percentage back over the 900 career mark it has always been above, and his goals against average under 3. Likewise, that only in 2019-20 are the exceptions to. It wasn't back to in his prime Rene stats, but it was from a limited backup role, also more than respectable. That said, it didn't translate into the win-loss record that was under 500. That is not Rene-like. That's happened one other season in his NHL career-wise where he had more losses than wins, and it was by a game in 2012-13. His last NHL game played this past year, fittingly a shutout to add to his sure-to-be first ballad Hall of Fame career. 68 out of 100. Overall, 81.8 out of 100. I spent the year saying Nashville needed to get above-average goaltending to be a playoff team. I was talking Vesna consideration caliber. Both goalies did well. Saros played Vesna caliber level and willed the Nashville team into the postseason, albeit in 20 less games started in this shortened condensed season. Saros's goals against average was lower at 2.28 to Rene's 2.3. 
0.31 and with an identical save percentage. I'm telling you that because that's the year Rene won the Vesna Trophy. The team Saros was backstopping was not cup contender quality like the three Vesna nominees had and that should have had him nominated. You can make an argument he should have won the Hart Trophy for league MVP even and that wouldn't be ridiculous. He finished 11th in voting for that, 6th in Vesna voting. Want to blame someone for that Vesna vote? Blame GM Poyle for his telling everyone incorrectly that overall Nashville was a better team than they actually were. You know the Vesna is voted on by the GMs as I mentioned earlier and it's the only award that is and Saros didn't get a single first place vote so we know even Poyle didn't vote for his own goalie number one that saved Nashville's season. That's pathetic. Nashville only makes the playoffs this past year with Vesna caliber goaltending and and UC Saros absolutely provided it. Unranked goalie depth, Kazmir Kaskasio came in relief for one game versus Carolina March 11th, zero goals against, three saves. Defense, Roman Yossi, 24 minutes, 21 seconds, average time on ice, 48 games played, 8 goals, 25 assists, 33 points, 83 block shots, a plus minus minus 11. Yossi in 21 less games played and over a minute less average time on ice, had his goal total cut in half from the regular season prior to last. He simply didn't have the Norris winning campaign that he was coming off of. What's troubling from a team perspective offensively is he was first for Nashville in points. Not often, but more noticeable was him cheating defensively to generate offensively and while playing against the other team's best he was the worst plus minus minus 11 for Nashville defenseman a full minus nine behind the next lowest however he is the time on ice top pair minute leader who drives offense those kind of players are hard to find and have a premium value to them for good reason it was below Norris consideration this past year slightly is all for Yossi postseason six games played four assists 11 block shots 26-27 average time on ice, 82 out of 100. Ryan Ellis, 23 minutes, 46 seconds, 35 games played, 5 goals, 13 assists, 18 points, 63 block shots, A plus minus plus 1. There wasn't anything off with Ellis when he was playing. The reality of the drawback on him is back-to-back seasons missing 20-plus games. His level of play as a top-pair guy isn't replaceable by the next guy up. I'm not going to knock his ability based on injury, because that's really the only complaint you can have. I'm factoring in the impact to the overall regular season for Nashville that was affected in his lengthy absence, as it did the year prior substantially as well. He very nearly led all Nashville defensemen in goals in way less games played, finishing third on the degree in 13 less games played with only three less. He also logs top minutes and to me is a better two-way defenseman than Yossi is. The postseason, six games played, one goal, four assists, five points, 14 block shots, 25-26. Average time on ice, 80 out of 100. Matthias Ekholm, 22 minutes, 52 seconds. Average time on ice, 48 games played, six goals, 17 assists, 23 points, 46 block shots, a plus minus plus 19. While averaging 30 seconds less average time on ice from the season and prior to last in 20 less games played, Ekholm nearly matched his goal total while keeping comparable point production. He was also defensively strong, a team leader plus minus plus 19, a full plus six better than forward Kelly Yarncroak, who was second with everyone else well far back in that metric. During the season, because of injuries at points for the team, he was truly the cornerstone defenseman to see the team through the challenges as well. As steady as always, but notice more for it deservedly this past year. His contract is super team friendly for his value. He won't get the points Yossi or Ellis do, but he does everything else defensively better that the NHL undervalues in its attempt to create star positional players, defensemen included. Postseason, six games played, three assists, eight block shots, 26-27 average time on ice, 85 out of 100. Dante Fabro, 19 minutes, 19 seconds, 40 games played, two goals, 10 assists, 12 points, 57 block shots, plus minus minus one in early april fabro ended up on ir for an undisclosed injury he saw a couple of regular season games but didn't play the postseason well listed as healthy prior to his injury i felt i saw growth for the 23 year old that has otherwise been rushed into top four duty while he develops unfortunately the injury set 
setback disrupted that further this past year. His point production in 40 games played was a point more than it was in the 64 games played the year prior and at minus one on his plus minus. He also made more strides with improving his defensive game while averaging 19 minutes per game time on ice in the regular season again like the year prior. He's young and he is closer to truly being a top four defenseman at the NHL level now and as I mentioned he did not play in the postseason. 70 out of 100. Matt Benning 16 minutes 20 seconds average time on ice 53 games played one goal three assists four points 53 block shots plus minus minus one. No one was in more games played of Nashville's defense than bottom pair Benning. He also had a three minute time on ice per game increase last year at over 16 minutes than the 13 minutes he played limited games with Edmonton. And while adequate at times, that time on ice average is a stretch while he still maintained a close to even minus one plus minus. At 27, I think he'd be better close to the Edmonton average time on ice minutes. A seventh defenseman who was used as an everyday regular in near to the max 17 minute bottom pair NHL minutes for that role. He played adequate doing it at best. He won't be a top four NHL defenseman and sold as an upgrade by the GM to the bottom pair in Nashville this past year. It was relatively the status quo and he had full opportunity to be a bigger impact. He wasn't. Postseason five games played, zero points, five block shots, 18 minutes, 36 seconds average time on ice, 60 out of 100. Ben Harper, 16 minutes, 26 seconds average time on ice, 34 games played, seven assists, seven points, 29 block shots, plus minus plus two. In 19 less games played, Harper in near identical minutes had seven points to Benning's four points. Harper was a plus two in plus minus with slightly less block shots per game comparatively. He has bounced back between the NHL and American Hockey League level over the past six seasons. He is slightly less cost than Benning and it's to say pretty close to the same bottom pair playing value. My assessment isn't therefore better or worse for Harper or Benning as injury call-up bottom pair late 20-something prime D-men. They both are good for organizational depth but they were overused in time on ice by Nashville comparative to their value. Harper's game usage seeing 34 games played is more accurate to how Benning should have been used at the NHL level. The real only difference is Benning was sold as an everyday bottom pair upgrade while Harper wasn't. Postseason five games played one assist seven block shots 20 minutes 21 seconds average time on ice 58 out of 100. Mark Borowicki 13 minutes 41 seconds average time on ice 22 games played one assist one point 37 block shots a plus minus minus two the other offseason bottom pair addition injuries limited his game play and he was shut down for the year just before mid-march he was coming off a career year where he had 18 points in 53 games played while playing four seconds shy of 18 minutes per game the year prior with ottawa his time on ice usage as a bottom pair fluctuated game by game a lot more than the just over 13 and a half per game total reflects he finished third on the team in penalty and minutes he only played 22 games so it's good to remind you that if the Benning signing didn't work out well Borowicki turned out to be even less so as a pair together they were noticeably inadequate last year's stats do more mirror his career the career high before signing with Nashville looked to be the exception not the expectation he did not play in the postseason 50 out of 100 overall 67.9 out of 100 weighted there is no doubt the quality of the tripods play the name i have for yossi ellis and Ekholm, nashville's elite three but they represent just over 60 percent of the game's played ratio of nashville's top four the drop in play after those three even with an improved season from fabro who also missed 16 games played as well the next d-man up isn't of any of those caliber but had to absorb those minutes if you wonder why the average minutes for benning and harper are well over 16 minutes that was one of the ways nashville managed to do it it's a drop off in the type of minutes you are getting by doing that carrier would have been graded closer to fabro than say to benning so i did keep the top four overall mark reflective of that being true the bottom pair mark is made up of benning harper and borowicki and it did see time on ice that's higher minutes than a limited bottom pair and that has a regular top four set all over 20 minutes for example like say dallas did or minnesota injuries were a challenge for nashville and the d group faced this and made the playoffs but it was assisted by the above average goaltending of saros to do it lots of
lots of teams had injuries. Regardless of the different names on the back of the jerseys after the top four, with Ellis missing the same game played and Fabro too, they certainly didn't all, in all, make Nashville better on defense than they were the year before. Ungraded defense depth, Alex Carrier, 20 minutes, 3 seconds average time on ice, 19 games played, 1 goal, 2 assists, 3 points, 31 block shots, a plus minus plus 3. If Carrier had played one more game, he would have been graded, and at a higher mark of the entire group of the three bottom pair D-men that were graded. Carrier really showed to be a 5-6 guy who showed potential to play limited top 4. At 24, there is still a possibility he will play top 4 in some of his prime years. He was the unexpected bright spot for an Asheville D-group. Postseason, 6 games played, 2 assists, 10 block shots, 25 minutes, 16 seconds average time on ice. Jeremy Davies, 15 minutes, 2 seconds average time on ice, 16 games played, 1 assist, 1.7 block shots, a plus minus plus 3. At the same age as Carrier, Davies didn't show he was quite as ready for regular NHL duty, yet he did have his moments where, from an organizational depth standpoint, he is still on the right side of the development curve to get there. Eric O'Branson, 17 minutes, 15 seconds average time on ice, 9 games played, 1 assist, 1 point, 13 block shots, a plus minus plus 1. In Gobranson's defense, you would think GM Poyle would have tired from his deadline day need to add a yet another soon-to-be top 4 late career bottom pair capable vet from a non-playoff bound NHL team. Well, it does lend credence to an admission Poyle still hasn't got the bottom pair right. It added depth to the D group. It didn't make it marketably better. At 29, his stats, including time on ice, are for his game played in Nashville. Combined with his Ottawa games played, he saw 45 games played, 4 points, 17 minutes, 55 seconds average time on ice total for both teams last year. Two postseason games played, 0 points, 4 block shots, 12 minutes, 59 seconds average time on ice. David Ference, 18 minutes, 8 seconds average time on ice, Two games played, no points, one box shot, a plus minus plus three. The 22-year-old prospect Ferrets played two games, one bottom pair minutes under 14 minutes, the other top four pair minutes at plus 22 minutes. Just to explain better the time on ice average at over 18 minutes in those two games. He was a plus player both nights and looked relatively good. Tyler Lewington. 14 minutes, 10 seconds, average time on ice, two games played, one assist, one point, four block shots, a plus minus, plus four. At 10 NHL career game played, Lewington has been primarily an AHL player the past five seasons. He also showed good in his limited bottom pair minute audition. Lucas Biza, 11 minutes, 58 seconds, average time on ice, one game played, no points, two block shots, plus minus zero. Waiver wire pickup Spiza returned to Nashville at the beginning of the year. He had to wait to get into the lineup because of quarantining, and then the 31-year-old ended up getting an upper body injury that made him unavailable to be an option for the rest of the season. He would have been a two-way, i.e. play the opposite side right-handy as well as his natural left-handy side option and an NHL experience vet. Unfortunately, Nashville wasn't ever able to use him. Forward top six, Mikhail Granlin, 19 minutes, 28 seconds, average time on ice, 51 games played, 13 goals, 14 assists, 27 points, five power play goals, a plus minus minus one. We start with Granlin as he was 20 seconds less of adding a whole two minutes average time on ice and had the most of Nashville's forwards. Forsberg in 12 less games played had more points. Granlin was fourth. Granlin's goal production and point production were comparable to the year prior and that's half a point production per game over the last two seasons. He isn't noted for being a defensively strong forward either. He did get paid top six money and he absolutely needs to be way closer to point per game production when he plays the most time on ice. I think he is overrated and overvalued and Nashville has not had players that have had chemistry playing with him. Maybe it's because of him, not his line mates. Granlin tied for the team lead in goals and that tells you all you need to know about the forward group's ability to score goals. Postseason six games played, two goals, three assists, five points, 
23 minutes, 39 seconds average time on ice, 65 out of 100. Philip Forsberg, 18 minutes, 17 seconds average time on ice, 39 games played, 12 goals, 20 assists, 32 points, plus minus minus 9. Forsberg had the most points of the forwards while missing 17 games played. He was a 20-goal scorer the year prior to last, and goal production this year wasn't down really at all by comparison. He still was Nashville's best game-breaker when he did play. His plus minus was third worst of Nashville's forward at minus 9, but he did put up points when a lot of this group simply didn't. It's like when I looked at Clayton Keller in Arizona, how much of Forsberg's limitations are actually due to the supporting cast around him. There is no doubt that he is a legit top-line NHL winger, but like in Chicago, Dabrinkit had Kane. We didn't see much of the Jofa line because Forsberg missed games played, Arvidsson and Johansson did too, and Granlund and Deshane are terrible together as line mates. Forsberg needs at least a forward as dynamic as him. Forsberg is the only guy in this group that shouldn't be singled out as being an issue. Postseason, six games played, two goals, one assist, three points, 20 minutes, 31 seconds average time on ice, 79 out of 100. Ryan Johansson, 16 minutes, 57 seconds, average time on ice, 48 games played, 7 goals, 15 assists, 22 points, a plus-minus zero. Johansson missed 8 games played after a 14-goal campaign a year prior to last year. That was cut in half. Johansson did see a goal production drop, and he didn't exactly light it up the year prior as it was. His stat line looks good like that of a third-line center adequate, not an 8 million top-line center. He also was nowhere close to point-per-game production two years in a row Johansson in his prime and at least at the majority of the time played with at least Forsberg and additionally Arvidsson there's no reason they shouldn't produce closer to point per game production individually Johansson simply hasn't been that player and that's what he gets paid to do postseason six games played three goals one assist four points 1808 average time on ice 62 out of 100 Kelly Yarncroak 16 minutes 48 seconds average time on ice 49 games played 13 goals 15 assists 28 points a plus minus plus 13. Yarn Croak is included in the Nashville top six, not because he tied for the team leading goals, and he did with 13. His average time on ice has him in this group as well, and it was up seven seconds shy of a minute per game this past year. Yarn Croak is a player who played up the lineup because of injuries and just based on his play. Second on the team in plus minus at plus 13, top of all the forwards, and the only one in double digits or anywhere close to it of the Nashville forward group, save for one. If you look at the kind of players that can thrive in the coach's system game, it's two-way less dynamic but hardworking, less noticeable players that did. Yarncroak might as well be coaches Hines poster boy. Still, it's like most in the group, a good solid third liner stat line that time on ice minute-wise isn't good enough to be top six value. Yarncroak isn't paid to be, but he was asked to do more and well is comparatively as good after Forsberg as anyone else was for way less salary. Postseason, five games played, one assist, 19 minutes, 44 seconds, average time on ice, 67 out of 100. Victor Arvidsson, 16 minutes, 36 seconds, average time on ice, 50 games played, 10 goals, 15 assists, 25 points, plus minus plus nine. Arvidsson also had exactly half point per game production while missing six games played and a touch more time on ice than the year prior. He scored five less goals in 13 less games played from the year prior in this past shortened season. He, after Forsberg, is a guy that is the most dynamic skill set wise who underperformed if that wasn't a theme across the depth chart for Nashville's forwards. His plus nine plus minus was the only forward close to double digits after Yarncroak in respect to his two-way game. He would have missed Forsberg although I think at times it wasn't a lock the two played together and that also affected the production of both. Postseason two games played zero points 15 minutes two seconds average time on ice 65 out of 100. Eric Halla 16 minutes average time on ice. 51 games played, 9 goals, 12 assists, 21 points, plus minus plus 4. While Hall at times would be better reflected in the usage in the bottom 6, not Nashville's top 6 more accurately, the problems with that, 2 of them. Forsberg and Shane missed large chunks of games played, and because of Hall's average time on ice, he belongs with the top group. He, like Yarn Croak, salary-wise, were comparative value, and if he was put in the bottom 6, he would, like Yarn Croak, receive less criticism for not 
adding more offense in three more games played and similar time on ice he had three less goals from the year prior with florida to be playing top six he did need to produce more and like most the guys that simply wasn't the case postseason six games played one goal three assists four points 2020 average time on ice 60 out of 100 matt Deshane, 15 50 average time on ice 34 games played six goals seven assists 13 points plus minus minus 12 he missed 22 games played when he did play of an underachieving top six group he underachieved the most a team worse plus minus minus 12 that almost is as low as his less than half point production of 13 points was as another nhl gm i would take this contract on but i would want philip tomasino and yakov trenin or both to do it or one of them and a first round draft pick that's how immovable this contract is his season is like the million dollar score and win contest it was 1.3 million in salary for each of his six goals postseason six games played one goal two assists three points 16 56 average time on ice 38 out of 100 overall 62.9 out of 100 to explain seven nashville players for a top six the 48 man games lost combined of the players does not equal but is still less to the 34 game played by duchene there's essentially another 14 games played played by other players even with these seven if they always played top six and for Halla, that wasn't always the case what it does do is give you a better account of the usage and man game played than putting six guys here and not accounting anywhere near to what six forwards all playing 56 games would also by salary and time on ice the two that missed the most games forsberg and Deshane are top six players putting one of them in the bottom six because they were hurt or in Deshane's case didn't play good he didn't play good playing in the top six just like Granlund in the most time on ice isn't near a point per game player like he ought to be either Nashville ranked 22nd overall in goal scored no one player was close to being a 20 goal scorer in Nashville a D-man Yossi again led the team in points while having a down year himself not one roster player at point per game production if you wondered why I spent most of this past year raving about UC Soros it was to avoid sounding like I was complaining at length about this forward group's offense production through the whole lineup. Minnesota's 181 goals for is scoring by committee. Nashville had a lack of goal scoring by committee by comparison. They also didn't have a top six that drove offensive production. Bottom six, Ellie Tovalin, 14 minutes, 48 seconds, average time on ice, 40 games played, 11 goals, 11 assists, 22 points, six power play goals, plus minus, minus 10. Tovalin was one of Nashville's rookies who showed his high-end skill and goal scoring at the NHL level, getting two double digits after scoring 20-plus at the AHL the year prior. His best use was on the power play where half of his goal production was. He was up and down the lineup and five-on-five less impactful. He didn't play 16 games for a team needing goals and even though his two-way game needs improving at 22 he was underused postseason four games played zero points 19 minutes and one second average time on ice 66 out of 100 luke cunning 13 minutes 59 seconds average time on ice 38 games played 10 goals nine assists 19 points plus minus plus three cunning missed 18 games played he just got to double digits and looked more at home later in the year in nashville he fits coach hein's system the lineup juggling for a new player on a new team i think made it harder for cunning to adjust to being in nashville he's 23 and still although having nhl games under him developing his usage as a top nine player not top six when he did play fits where he is at and seems to be destined to slot as a winger and not at center ice postseason six games played two goals two points 17 minutes four seconds average time on ice 65 out of 100 nick cousins 13 minutes 22 seconds average time on ice 52 games played, 5 goals, 13 assists, 18 points, plus minus plus 4. Offseason free agent signing Cousins was a double-digit scorer for Vegas the year prior to last. 10 goals in 65 games played. He had half of that in Nashville in 52 games. His time on ice average was close to identical for both those seasons. It's a good contract, but Cousins underperformed and not surprisingly was one of the healthier guys, so he played most of the year. 
at 27 in his prime years. He's another national addition that didn't add enough to the bottom six. Postseason, four games played, two goals, two points, 17-21 average time on ice, 55 out of 100. Colton Sissons, 14-21 average time on ice, 54 games played, eight goals, seven assists, 15 points, plus minus plus two. Sissons was consistent, eight goals in 54 games played this past year to nine goals in 57 games played the year prior, matching point totals and two seconds from identical time on ice between the two seasons. An everyday bottom six NHLer who both is low risk and low reward. It's like Nashville had three third line centers this past year in Johansson, Duchesne, and Sissons. At least Sissons' salary is that of a third line NHL center. Postseason, six games played, two assists, two points, 18 minutes, seven seconds, average time on ice, 56 out of 100. Rocco Grimaldi, 12 minutes, 49 seconds, average time on ice, 40 games played, 10 goals, three assists, 13 points, plus minus, minus three. Grimaldi missed 16 games played. He's a double digit goal scorer while playing the least time on ice average of Nashville's forwards who did. He also matched his goal total from the season prior when he played 66 games played, just 11 more seconds in average time on ice, more than that year. I think he played impactful low minutes for Nashville, just couldn't stay healthy, or at times it seems, was simply left out of the lineup. I'd say he was one of Nashville's forwards who had a better year, so his not playing regularly was a head-scratcher if he was healthy. No postseason games played, 60 out of 100. Yakov Trenin, 11.34 average time on ice, 45 games played, 5 goals, 6 assists, 11 points, plus minus plus 4. At 24, Trenin to me has top 6 potential, the best toolbox of skill and size on this Nashville roster for his age. If he is put in the right spot, he can be a point-per-game player at the NHL level, limited by his average time on ice, his fourth line usage, and his line mates. He could have been more impactful. He simply wasn't put into a position to be this year. I don't know who you pair him with on this roster's current construction, but if it's Olivier and Janot or Richardson, uh, it's going to limit him. He needs to improve in the face-off dot to play center regularly as well. I'd also put him as a net front presence on the first power play unit instead of Granlin. His grade is not reflective of his upside, just that Nashville didn't maximize it. Postseason, six games played, two goals, two points, 14 minutes, 46 seconds, average time on ice, 63 out of 100. Matthew Olivier, 10 minutes, 55 seconds, average time on ice, 30 games played, three goals, two assists, five points, minus one, plus minus. With so many injuries, Olivier became a fourth line staple for half a season this past year. His biggest contribution is leading Nashville in penalty minutes with 70. That's a throwback to another era, what he would have racked up over a full seasons of play, who only knows. Truth is, for limited minutes, it's not good value. To have value, Olivier needs to use his physical size within the game and limit his time in the penalty box. At 24, this past year, he was more of a liability in the lineup than anything else. He was in Nashville's lineup more than he should have been as well. Postseason, two games played, zero points, 13 minutes, 46 seconds, average time on ice, 45 out of 100. Overall, 58.1 out of 100. Firstly, is Tovalin and Trennan's misusage as being bottom six players, but they aren't quite developed to play top six roles on a team that had underperformance in its top six forward group. Cunningham missed a lot of games. Grimaldi missed games played or was underused as well. Meanwhile, like the top six issues, Sissons and Cousins had limited impact and were the players who played the most this year in the bottom six. So what does it look like for Nashville's bottom six? It looks a lot like the open audition Chicago had all year, in part because of injury, but mostly because there is underperformance from the top of the lineup forward group all the way down through it. It's a group that looks like the awkward in transition group it is, trying to figure itself out. It was a group that essentially had prospects, regular bottom six NHLers, and some career minor league guys that collectively didn't really equal to a truly competitive bottom six at all. Ungraded forward depth, Tanner Janot, 12 minutes, 8 seconds average time on ace, 15 games played, 5 goals, 2 assists, 7 points, plus minus plus 6. Janot was a pleasant surprise, almost half point production in his 15 games played. He scored 5 NHL goals that matched his AHL total in 
157 games played the year prior. At 24, he has size, but unlike Olivier and McCarron, he stays out of the penalty box and added fourth-line point production. He, of the three, did the required job best. Postseason, five games played, one assist, 1.13 minutes, 6 seconds average time on ice. Brad Richardson, 12 minutes, 16 seconds average time on ice, 17 games played, one goal, three assists, four points, plus minus zero. This late vet pickup from Arizona should have impacted Nashville in a more positive way, but Richardson's health made that never materialize. In his limited play, he also lacked the chemistry because of the injuries to his limited play. At 36, interesting after the limited play this season because of injury, if Richardson is able to reestablish himself as a fourth-line center with value. Postseason, two games played, zero points, nine minutes, 29 seconds average time on ice. Rem Pitlick, 11 minutes, 18 seconds average time on ice, 10 games played, two assists, two points, plus minus plus three. 24-year-old prospect Pitlick put up 20 goals in 63 games played in Milwaukee in the American Hockey League. A season prior to this, his audition in 10 games played wasn't impactful, but he doesn't fit the bottom six mold Coach Hines wants, and he seems capped out having enough high-end skill to be playing in an NHL top six. He simply is a decent player in the wrong organization to succeed right now. Michael McCarron, 10 minutes, 18 seconds, average time on ice, six games played, zero points, plus one, plus minus. If McCarron had played more like Olivier in games played, it would pretty much be swapping out AHL level players for each other. It wouldn't move the needle. The drop-off of both of them being in the lineup together on the fourth line is more worrisome an issue. Forward group overall, 61 out of 100, weighted. Simply the top six didn't pull its collective weight as having a D-man on a down year finishing first in team scoring would indicate as was the case in Nashville this past year. Philip Forsberg needing more support and Matt Deshane in limited games played dragging down the production as well. The bottom six didn't put up goal production related to a good secondary scoring NHL team. It's to say they weren't going to also make up the team's low goal production throughout the lineup. It's not a cup contending bottom six and combined with the top six underachieving and half a defense when healthy, that's why only UC Soros gets this team playoff bound for lifting up the deficiencies littered throughout the group. There are some regular NHLers here, a couple of decent prospects as well, but it's still when you look through the forward group leaves a person to second guess how to maximize the 12 best forward options and you would be hard pressed to come to a consensus on who in fact the 12 forwards would be. That's a team needing retooling or better one that needs a full-on rebuilding. Overall, team player grade 70.2 out of 100. Final thoughts. Nashville is the fifth team of the 8-2020-21 season reviews for the teams that make up the NHL Central Division that Arizona joins this season. I will continue the season reviews next with Minnesota. In addition to the Team Focus year-end podcast, there will be a complimentary Team Focus podcast, a free agency Nashville team podcast. Each team in the Central Division will have one that looks at of all the players we just graded who are with the team, unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, or potentially traded if they haven't been before we even get to free agency. You have to think of the year-end podcast as a roster look at the year that was, the basis for Central Division Hockey, the podcast opinions for each team, for the expansion draft, the NHL draft, and free agency are based to follow off the team's review for each one. I will build off from this point. That's why while trades have occurred for some teams, that will be included in the next podcast for each team. Those are essentially the start of next year's changes already in progress. Remember, this podcast goes into depth for eight teams, not one. For Nashville, you can already take out Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis from this group. That will be talked about more in Nashville's free agency podcast. As I mentioned off the top of this podcast, 31 Thoughts, the podcast, did a podcast the Monday Luke Prokop announced is coming out. It's called This Is Luke Prokop's Podcast, if you want to go check that out.
and slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.